0: luxury quality within reach go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order quince.com slash style
1: i'm
2: sarah and i'm beth We are lawyers, mothers, and hosts of the bipartisan podcast, Pantsuit Politics. Just as we differ in political philosophy, we've arranged our lives in very different ways, from our careers to where we live, to our choices around marriage and family. But we have more in common
1: than divides us. In a world that increasingly defaults to false dichotomies, we explore the messiness of living wisely.
2: Choices, trade-offs, priorities, and grace of living a nuanced life. So, Diana, when we wrapped up Pantsuit Politics, we were discussing the need for wisdom in our culture and the need for wisdom traditions to be part of a larger conversation about gratitude. And it occurs to me that it is really difficult to have that kind of wisdom and that kind of leadership without what you cover in the first half of your book so beautifully, which is a a shift in our personal conception of gratitude. And I sense that this is really what was on your mind when you set out to write this book and would love to hear uh, about that process.
3: Yeah, when I wrote Grateful, the entry point was being in my late 50s. And I had just written a book called Grounded. It came out in October 2015. And so my publisher was already asking me, as the new book comes out, what are you going to write about next? What are you going to write about next? And um, I had been thinking about it for a couple months and it was a really interesting and sort of tender moment in my life. I I think that the mid 50s are just sort of interesting time for women. And uh, my mom had died five years earlier and in the 20 months before I was thinking about what the next book would be, I had uh, two mentors who passed away. One was 72 and the other one was 82. Both were writers. One was a New Testament scholar and the other one uh, was a, he was a guy. And the other one was a woman who wrote in the media. So she was a journalist. I was thinking about both of them and how much I missed them. And even though they were very different people, the thing that they shared was that both of them had this incredible capacity for gratitude that they took life completely as a gift. It was almost like they were surprised every single day by how their life had unfolded and what was good and beautiful and amazing about being alive. And there was a kind of joy um, that both of them radiated and real pleasure in living uh, because of it. And so I was thinking about that and I thought, Oh my gosh, you know, here I am in the 50 I think it was 56, 57 when I was thinking about this. I thought, okay, so I get another 20, 25, 30, 35 years maybe. Um, here, and when I die, what will people say about me? And I and immediately I realized that I don't think anybody would have said I was a deeply grateful person. And those kinds of moments in our life, you know, when you just kind of look at yourself and you realize what is missing, you can be twenty-five or forty-two or you know, fifty-six or seventy. And that becomes a moment where you get to make some choices. And for me, that choice was I don't want to be a kind of person that lives without thanks. And instead I would love it if people thought of me as a person that was filled with gratitude for the life and the gifts that I've been given. So that meant, okay, uh, maybe that's the next book. And I had always wanted to write a book on character because I'd never seen a book on character that had been written by a liberal woman. And I thought that that would be a really interesting contrast. I, I, w- I was just kind of curious as how it would come out in comparison to neoconservative men writing books mm-hmm. about char- about character. And and so gratitude seemed a great entry point into that. So it was it was it was very personal, and that's what started the journey. Self reflection at midlife, and realizing, okay, I can do something about this. And I, and the first step is trying to understand what this thing is. That has been so elusive to me over the last five decades.
1: I think the line we always walk on The Nuance Life and Pantsuit Politics is, you do it so beautifully in this book, which is understanding the ways that society and culture and history, and we go into a lot of that on Pantsuit Politics. the, The history of gratitude as a debt owed and a duty given versus as a gift and then a in a response. And so how did you, how did you piece that apart? How did you say, well, this is the water we swim in. And these are the, these are the strokes I'm going to take in my personal life to head in a different direction.
3: I'm a teacher. (laughs) And, uh, and, um, you know, even though I'm not in a university, I had been for, for a good number of years. And um, I teach in my books. I just, I love to teach. And so that means when I'm faced with a dilemma or a problem or a question, I, I dive right into the the sort of the heart of it. And I try to figure out what I don't know. And um, that meant my first step in this book was to look at the places where I had failed at being grateful and to ask myself what kinds of definitions and understandings were operative for me so that I felt like a failure. And so I, I start the book with a... <laughs> an incident really, I have never forgotten. And that was when I got a thank you note for sending a thank you note. I, I I couldn't even believe it, you know, cause I was so bad at writing thank you notes that I had written a thank you note to this person initially was You're very, so proud of yourself. I was, I was, I was so proud of myself. Oh, look, I did it. You know, I finally realized that I should say thank you in this particular circumstance. So I sent this thank you note off and then I get a return thank you note for sending a thank you note. And I thought, what am I supposed to do now? This is crazy. You know, this is one of the reasons I have always hated this, um, because you get to these places where, you know, it seems like a gerbil wheel. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, and so, so I talk about how then my mom and I struggled with, uh, with gratitude. Um, and my mother was She she was so good at thank you notes. She was so good at taking presents to people. She was the ultimate 1950s 1960s mom with with great manners. And here I
1: sometimes that's just a love language. Do you like stationery? I like stationery, which is why it's not any great character gift. I like thank you notes because I really like stationery, and if I send them, I get to buy more. Well, there
3: you go. See, I really like stationery too, but I kind of collect it. I can never get it in the mail. Um so so um so anyway I talk about this uh, you know that my mom had these very uh, sort of well-defined understandings of what gratitude was and by her standards I failed. And so I I kind of gave up. And um then throughout the book I sort of unpack those feelings of failure a bit more and I think what was the sort of moment when The whole project personally made a lot of sense to me. um, Was when I realized that gratitude was both a feeling and an action, that it was both um, a set of emotions and it was also an ethic. And eventually, as I talk about in the book, um, I realized that my mom and I leaned sort of in two different directions when it came to gratitude. Because when I was a little kid, I was actually very keenly aware of the emotions of gratitude. You know if somebody gave me a present, I would like be crying and and i I just i felt like, oh, you know, I can't believe somebody would do that for me, so I felt the emotions of gratitude very strongly um but I didn't know how to translate that into action and my mother, on the other hand uh she really understood the sort of the ethical framework the 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 action framework of gratitude, the writing of the notes, the saying you were uh, saying and expressing appreciation, you know, verbally and all the time and, uh, doing things for other people that would make sure that she, that gratefulness was on the table. Um, so, so my mom was really good at that part, but my mother was actually less good at the, at the emotional piece of it. She was, she had a very hard time, uh, with her emotions. As a matter of fact, she kind of push away getting gifts sometimes because she was afraid of ha- the strong emotions they would elicit. Mm-hmm. And, and so here my mom and I had these two different ideas about gratitude. And um, because she was my mother, of course, I thought she was right. And I felt like a failure, you know, on, on her, on her, her on her standard. And, and so in the book, I bring these two pieces back together um, in conversation, that gratitude is an emotion. It's a very important one, and it is one that is good for us. That's the piece you always hear um, on Oprah. Uh, it contributes to good health outcomes. It helps to under you know if you're if you're fearful, it, it undermines fear and anxiety. It, um, it is evidently very good if you are depressed. Um, and you practice gratitude you, you'll become less depressed so all of those things all those um, the positive emotion of gratitude has positive outcomes in our lives um but the question with emotions and I think I experienced this as a little kid is um they are ad hoc you know they come when they come when somebody gives you a present when something surprises you when you're walking along the beach and you see a beautiful sunrise yeah, and um the, the question emerges is how do you sustain that as a way as a way of life? And so, what my mom was doing in her writing thank you notes or participating in her church or all the different things that she did uh that created an ethic of gratitude um is essentially she was putting body and structure around those feel around that so that it wasn't just a set of ad hoc feelings but that it became. A practice and a habit. Um, so, one of the big questions around, I think, um, more traditional kinds of gratitude books is how do you take feelings and translate them into practice? And what do you do when you don't feel grateful? Can you still live gratefully? And so, I think that that becomes that's a really interesting question and one that psychiatrists and psychologists and, and ethicists grapple with and that certainly I was grappling with even as a little kid um, with my mother and the struggle about writing thank you notes.
1: Well, and I think that's what you do so well, though, is point out that some of the reason we don't feel that is because what we're being told is that it's a debt and a duty. And I think scratching the surface of what you were talking about with your mother is so true. I've had the same conversation with my mother. when When I heard Brené Brown say this, I thought it was so brilliant, which is if you are never receiving thanks openly and authentically then you are never giving openly and authentically Mm -hmm. if you can never say if you can never feel thank you or like you said your mother didn't like to give presents and my mother is the same way like no we don't want help we don't want a gift we don't want to feel and because we don't want to feel indebted which means you're never really giving because what you really think is I'm doing something for you and you are going to owe me right Because that's the culture we swim in right and I think shifting that is such a, such a key to unlocking what you're saying that to feeling it authentically and the emotions behind gratitude as a gift and response is releasing ourselves, see, seeing the water, as we talked about on pansu Politics, seeing the water we swim in so we can say, it doesn't have to be like that. It doesn't have to be a debt. It can just be this communal energy and life flowing between us and this, this flow of energy and love and gratitude for the lives we've been given and I think that's just such a beautiful way to view things. And I think what really I thought some of the really practical sort of like you're saying the practices that you talk about in the book, like the yeah. tickle. I've got the prayers for summertime where you pray in the morning and then the midday, the Vesper, and then the compline in the evening. And I think that's that sort of daily reminder of tapping back into this flow of love and gratitude that you've received in your life. I don't care what you call it. <laughs> but that tapping into that on a regular occasion, yes, the the infamous gratitude journal or however you want to do it. And in doing that, um, I even loved the person you talked about who did a gratitude post. That was how she ended her social media presence every day was with a gratitude post, which right. I try to do to modicum success. And I think that that just reminding this is not about transactions. This is just let's just push that flow. I had a really interesting after I read your book. I had a conversation with a woman that actually started as a sort of political esque conflict in our community. Um, she felt like something the city did, and she was right that the city was was not um, acting as it should have. As a city leader, we sh- we were not acting as we should have. And I reached out and we we talked. I said I was sorry, and we talked about all this. And she was facing some real difficulties in her life, and so um, that had manifested physically. So I sent her a gift of a of treatment with my favorite massage therapist. And she just, you could feel her, you could feel that, oh, I don't want to take that because now I owe you or you don't need to be giving because I know this was this, this, especially if it involves money, people just seize up because money brings in that transactional nature, I think. And I said, you know what, I, I know that it's that don't see this as a transaction between you and me, I have received so much, and I'm just releasing it forward, and some of it splashing on you. And just that's it. Don't think about it beyond that. Like, let's just I'm releasing this. Next time you feel grateful, you release it to somebody else. Don't think about it as this debt and service between the two, the two and I. just kind of talked about your book. She's like, I'm gonna have to read that book.
3: I'm like, you should read that book. It's so good.
1: <laughs> but just you know, to re- release that idea of things.
3: I always kind of wonder about that. You know, I I it's easier to see things with hindsight. But but we just had come out in the news the masterpiece cake shop yeah thing. And um, you yeah, know, this is a very, this is a very complex and hot button kind of kind of issue. And I sort of wonder what would have happened if the gay couple would have, after the the guy said that they weren't gonna he wasn't gonna make the cake for them, what if they had sent him a present? Mm. You know, I mean, I mean, really, instead of saying, instead of sending a lawsuit, you know, (laughs) which you know that's their right, you know, they thought that they were clearly interpreting the law in the way that the law should be interpreted in Colorado. But the possibility here was, again, this is tied up in these sort of spiritual and religious narratives uh, that we're losing in our culture. And and you know, there's this lovely thing in the New Testament where Jesus says, "Hey, you know, if somebody asks for your coat, you know." You give them two, you know, and, and, uh, you know, turn the other cheek, that kind of thing. And um, at first that sounds like kind of giving in. But, you know, the, the, the alternative path would have been for the couple to send that guy a note or something and say, you know, we get it. Uh, that you feel really awkward about this, but we just wanted to tell you how incredibly beautiful we think your art is. Mm -hmm. And that we are really grateful that you are a member of our community. And we would have been so honored if we could have had that art at our service of love. Yep. And, you know, you kind of got to wonder what might have happened. Mm hmm if everybody in that whole circumstance had felt just a bit more respect and valued and appreciated for who they were.
1: Well, we wouldn't have gotten that Supreme Court case because they pushed everything off on the hostility of the commission. So if everybody had walked into that space less hostile and more grateful, we would have at least had a different Supreme Court decision.
3: Yeah, and it's like, you know, I'm not blaming anybody here or anything. I'm just wondering, you know, there was a whole different potential set of human response that could have emerged uh, from, from from being grateful for one another, and you know in the in the gratitude piece could have come from the fact that the baker could have appreciated the fact that these patrons who were so much people that he would not have met in his normal everyday life you know it's clear he probably goes to a church where there aren't a lot of gay people and he might not have gay relatives and the whole thing is that you know to have appreciation for for people who are different in his community and just be thankful that these people walked into his shop as customers and and the people who are potential customers expressing you know sort of a deep regard uh for the baker's sense of craft and artistry and what that could have meant to them um in their lives. It, that it doesn't mean everything necessarily would have solved. It's not, you know, sort of all you know uh pie and sky kind of solution. It's just imagining an alternative outcome. And that's where that's where gratefulness actually can take you is imagining the alternative story. Um and, and so within our personal space, you know, it, it can mean a lot in our public space. It can mean a lot to our politics. It's harder to get there if you haven't experienced it on that, that really personal level. And, um, part of the book, of course, is trying to try to push away what blocks us from having that response, you know? Um, and so, so there is the structure of gratitude, which inhibits us from immediately thinking about, well, maybe I should send the baker a thank you note, (laughs) you know, and appreciating his art. Uh, Why didn't those guys think about that? Well, it's because they've been aggrieved. They feel wrong. Mm -hmm. They, they, they wanted justice. And this was like one straw too far. You know, why did the baker not, you know, appreciate his, his neighbors for coming in as customers. Well, it's because he feels somehow that he has not been listened to and he's been aggrieved. And, and so everybody came into this circumstance with something blocking their capacity to be grateful for one another. And, and so in the book, I explore that, you know, what blocks us, the, the, the negative structure of gratitude blocks us, but then also a whole host of life experiences block us. And a lot of those experiences have to do with injustice or feeling like a victim being violated in whatever way. And, um, then I tell a whole bunch of stories in the book about my own experience in those, those arenas so that I'm not just a privileged white lady sitting above everybody saying, Oh, you have to be grateful and being grateful is good for you. And it's going to fix everything. That's not how this book approaches the question, but instead, you know, I'm a white lady whose whose great great wrongs have been done to um losing my first job being terribly misunderstood in a circumstance um you know where I was that 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 whole situation was very public and very awful and I was really castigated as a liar in public and it ruined a part of my career that I was never able to recover even though I have become an author and successful there are people still to this day, some 25 years later, who refuse to talk to me um, because of that set of circumstances. And uh, then I tell my own Me Too story, which um, this story about being abused when I was a teenager and how that left my whole life in a, a state of, of, of disarray about trust and, and victimization and how violence and and fear really do inhibit gratitude and and so i go into those circumstances where something bad happens to you really bad and um and those things shape our our inability or ability to to be grateful people and so so i start clearing all that away you know in in the narrative and uh, and i don't clear it away theoretically i had to clear it away in my own my own experience
2: Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. You know, I think that one of the gifts your book gave to me was seeing how my parents taught me about gratitude. I came to understand through everything you just described, that, that clearing away process, that all of this aggrievement we're all carrying around we're, we are all traumatized on a spectrum. We're very busy arguing about the relative degrees of that trauma instead of just accepting that we're all carrying around something that blocks us from gratitude. And and that sense of aggrievement and, and trauma leads us to be searching for control all the time. And that's what I see when you talk about the, the bake shop case, that everyone was trying to take some power because yeah. of that need for agreement and, and the way that ties to my parents for me is I realized reading your book that growing up on a farm, the sense my parents had that their control over what the farm would produce and therefore what we would have every year was so limited yeah. and the sense that it would be okay, whatever it was. Wow. like I never conceptualized that as a form of deep gratitude, but your book really helped me see that in my upbringing. And I, I thank you for that. And it it makes me think a lot about what messages I'm sending to, to my children.
3: Yeah. Well, it's a, it's a really profound set of questions, you know, how we face those sorts of adversities. Um, And um, you know, when we walk into a situation what every one of us as a human being, we, we should have respect and dignity. And every one of us as a human being should have enough, you know, to live, to live on and that the gifts, the good gifts of the, of the universe should, should flow freely, you know, in in our direction. And when we don't experience those things, respect, dignity, the free flow of the gifts of the universe, or the feeling like we have enough, um, that can create a whole host of potentially negative things uh fear uh, uh greed you know all sorts of things and the book i tell a really interesting story when i was writing the the book i was talking to a fellow i met just he was driving me around in colorado to an event and um he happened to be a, an out gay man and he grew up in west texas and he was uh, very 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 um, successful and, uh, had recently given up, uh, his business in order to become a spiritual director. And so, so we were talking about this, this journey that he had and, um, he's, he was, he shared the story about how growing up in West Texas, he was terribly bullied, you know, by, uh, all these kids who suspected he was gay, you know, and who treated him that way. And you call him sissy and beat him up in the playground and all this kind of stuff. And his response to that, cause he was not given the dignity and the regard that he should have as a human being. Um, so his, his response was, that was I'm, I'll show them. I'm going to beat them at their own game. And so he went off to college, became incredibly successful, super rich And then winds up buying basically his dream house um, on the California coast. He said to me that the whole time that he was having all this success and when he was in this house, he never felt happy, and he never felt grateful. And because he never felt like there was quite enough to overcome the bullying on the playground, and so when he got to his dream house, he was still angry and he still didn't experience gratitude. And the reason was then because he didn't have a direct view of the beach. And he felt like somehow, you know, there was one more thing that he was entitled to that would show those bullies. And, and then, you know, he just realized that the whole thing went back to this fundamental lack of dignity that he felt, um, you know, as a little boy. And what he had done is he spent his whole life closing himself off to the possibility of gratitude because of his response to being a, 8-year-old in West Texas who was gay. And so there's so many I think every one of us carries around a story like that. You know? And uh, what he eventually learned is that it wasn't that he should it, 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 that he really had to just sort of let that that part of his life go. And that if he was going to live forever and let the the bullies, you know, have that power over him, he was never going to be who he was fully was. And so he really changed everything about his life. And by the time I met him, uh, I could say that he, I was experiencing him as a deep and profoundly grateful person who, you know, didn't have a view of the beach, <laughs> didn't even have a regular paycheck and uh, was, was literally just helping people uh, find a deeper spiritual path. And, and the way that he was able to express his gratitude was so beautiful. And so, so I think that, you know, all of us have these stories about scarcity, about abundance, about feeling like a victim, et and the question is how much power do those stories have over us, you know, as we, as we mature and as we, we go along our own life's path, how do we process those stories and how do we, how do we let go of certain aspects of those stories in order to become, um, you know, who we are. And so, so, um, you know, writing about that in relationship to, uh, the, to me too, you know, was, was really challenging, you know, for me, because we never give thanks for things that are bad. You don't give thanks for not having food. You know, your parents should never, and I bet they never did give thanks for a, a a drought, you know, because a drought is a terrible thing on a farm, you don't give thanks for that. you pray for rain. And so you don't give thanks for you know getting beat up on the playground in West Texas, so you don't give thanks for you know having a terrible problem with a relative that winds up in sexual abuse. Uh, but what you do learn how to do is you learn how to give thanks through those times. and and if you give if you can craft a pathway, where you're still holding on to your essential humanity, where not as a cudgel to to use against other people, but as just your core of dignity. And uh, that becomes the place from which you can live a grateful life. And when you do that, it actually unhinges the capacity of the structures and systems around you to, I think, um, uh, to be cruel. Um, it's really Jesus is turning the other cheek moment. Uh, I think that that's where it takes you. It's not about rolling over and playing a victim, uh, but instead it's about reclaiming an essential dignity, uh, that we all, that we all have, um, even in the midst of the worst of circumstances that allows us to, to really be able to stand and say, I am a human being. And, um, I'm not going to use that to assault you, but I'm going to use that to remind the universe that. There are gifts here that I'm opening my life up uh, toward, and part of that is is my essential humanity. And um, Ellie Guazzell talked about that in relationship to the Holocaust. So,
0: hey, it's Paige Desorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I was thinking about that
1: today, again, in relationship to parenting, which we talk about a lot on The Nuance Life. And I was listening to Tim's story on Oprah's Super Soul Conversation, talking about comebacks versus setbacks and how a comeback is not a go back. You don't get to go back to the way things were.
3: That's correct.
1: And I thought it's really a hard thing to convey to kids because I think all the t- I say all the time, well, life's not fair. You need to get over it. And I feel like what, I'm, what I'm, they're hearing from me is that the world is a hard place which in a way is true but what i'm trying to convey to them is that's not the end of the story yeah some things are going to happen that you're not going to like and i want you to know that that's okay that you can learn from that sometimes that's a gift to be grateful through that but that's like such a hard thing to convey because they think the world revolves around them mm-hmm. and you're trying to teach them no the world doesn't revolve around you but also the world is still a beautiful place to revolve in and you're a very special part of it it's just such a hard hard message to, to get across. But
3: I think gratitude is such a central tool of that. Yeah, that is, that is a real challenge of parenting, especially for white people, frankly, Uh Um, because the culture that most white people live in is a culture of privilege and entitlement. And so what we try to do all the time is remind our children that they really are entitled to being blessed. Yeah. And when they're not blessed, we take, we take it as, you know, what, what we perceive as blessing, which is usually related to being treated kindly and success when they're not blessed, we take it as an aberration, you know, Mm -hmm. and we, so we say, Oh, you know, just, you know, forget about that, whatever, everything will get back to normal pretty soon. Um, but I think that really we have to just teach our children more realistically, (laughs) you know, about, about life. And that is that good things happen and bad things happen. And that through it all, um, that there, there really is love and that we are called towards uh, love and compassion. And, um, so, you know, it's, it's really hard, but you know, how do you teach your kid to not, you know, not hate the bully, you know, mm. cause what, what happened in that circumstance with the, that guy that I had that great conversation with is that he eventually, he, he hated the bully so much that he had to get revenge on the bully and revenge took its form of economic success. And, um, and there was never, but that's the problem with revenge is there's never enough. Yeah. You know, it's the worst drug of all. And, and, uh, it really, it really twists people into places that they, they, that their essential humanity gets obscured even to themselves. And certainly that everybody else's humanity does too. And that's what gratitude does is that it reminds us, you know, that we're human and the, and, um, it's not that we deserve, uh, you know, good stuff, but as human beings, there is a, there is a rightful inheritance of dignity, Mm. which is a little different than saying you deserve good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And and I think that that's the really wonderful, beautiful, nuanced place to try to parent. And if you if you have a rightful inheritance of dignity, that means that the people who are opposing you have a rightful inheritance of dignity too. And so how do you how do you work that through? And that's that becomes a territory in which gratitude can work out. Um, so we you know talking about politics in the first part, and you know what, frankly. And this is, I think, the place where Donald Trump is very malformed. Mm-hmm. Is that it's very clear, you know, when you watch him. I'm, I'm not a psychiatrist or a psychologist, but you know, I'm, I'm a mom, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I'm a Christian, and 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 I'm a struggler. You know, a person who's been on a spiritual journey for a really long time, and you know, I can recognize in other people um, when a brother or sister clearly has. Been treated in such a way that they have lost track of their own essential dignity, Mm -hmm. and um, and then they they spend the rest of their lives uh, trying to build that up at the expense of everyone around them, and wind up treating everyone else in very undignified ways. I was thinking
1: about Donald Trump, but I didn't want to bring it up because we are supposed (laughs) to not be in politics. But you did, so it doesn't count. Um, I'm I'm sorry, but but it really but it's such a good example. And I was thinking, you know, the moment when you were talking about revenge and why the moment I felt very differently, but I can, I can almost pinpoint it when I thought the only thing that would make me feel that would take away my grieveness and my resentment towards him and just my anger would be for something so bad to happen to him that he would turn and say, I see this, I see the harm I caused and I'm sorry, but I am logical oh. enough to realize that will never happen. He is incapable. Even if he went to jail, it would be someone else's fault. Just that, you know, the, the biggest liberal dream of consequences for him would not change the fundamental place that he is in as a human being. I, I don't think that that's possible at this point. And that, like when I could let that go, it's like I don't have to follow this revenge anger towards him because I just what I really want that would make me feel better is never going to happen. And so it's about containing the damage and real consequences, protecting institutions, because what I want, what I would love to see from him it's it's just not a reality. And so, and it's, it's, it's never going to happen. So I just let it
3: go. Well, I think that what you're talking about is it's really important in this idea of living a nuanced life is that, um, you know, the question is what happens when somebody does something really terrible to you that can you forgive them? And, and so often we have really, I think, thin understandings of forgiveness, you know, and what
1: justice really is.
3: Yeah, and what justice really is. And and so that's why actually writing about uh, the Me Too story in, in my book, it was really important for me. You know, I had never talked about that, never written about that. And here I am, 57, 58 years old, and I'm putting this story on paper. And it was before I wrote that section of the book before Rose McGowan. I wrote wow. that I, I literally was feeling the power of that through my own just sort of personal experience. And so when I when it wrote, and then a few months later, so the manuscript sitting in, in my publisher's office, and a few months later, the whole Me Too thing broke open with the New York Times story and everything else that happened. My publisher said, Do you want to, you know, print this up as an article? And I said, No, let's just wait it, you know, for it for the book, you know, I, I don't want to feel like I have to jump in and sort of, you know, in everybody else's story, I wrote it, you know, on my own. And so part of that is, you know, here I was 14 years old, was abused by an uncle. And so now what do you do, you know, for the rest of your life, basically. And so I spent a lot of time being really angry about that and being afraid and not trusting uh, people. And those three things, that's a devastating set of of things to be handed when you're 14 years old, is to think that the world is not trustworthy, that you're always going to be afraid. And you know it's just and you're angry for something somebody's done to you and and so so he was never going to say he was sorry he never did and as a matter of fact he kept coming at me even when I was through call even when I was in college I don't write about that part in the book but he was still calling me on the phone as late as when I was like 22 23 24 5 years mm. old and um and it was just it was awful and i realize now that those set of emotions made me make a whole bunch of really bad choices when i was a young woman including mer- my my first marriage uh broke up but i married the wrong person because of of all that those those feelings eventually i had to get a, to the place not not necessarily where i said oh you know this is just ridiculous you know i've i i just i forgive him it wasn't it wasn't really like that it was I began to see how the consequences of my response to what had been done to me were devastating to my own life. And so instead of being just angry at him, now I realized that there was something that I was responsible for and that I was responsible for navigating how I handled anger, mistrust, and fear. And that I could continue to handle anger, mistrust, and fear in ways that would you know get me divorced or cause me to lose friends, or I, it really played into the whole circumstance about losing my first job. Um, I could do that, or I could try to figure out how to take responsibility for what I could take responsibility for. And as I began to pick up the pieces of that, You know, and and try to understand fear differently, and try to understand my own anger differently. um, Work through issues related to trauma. Um, Then I I actually eventually felt a form of forgiveness toward him, but he never never asked, and then he just died. Um, And so, so in some ways, that whole thing is unresolved. And we think that if somebody doesn't ask us for forgiveness, that we can't move on. But that's not really true. You know, I think that we can learn to to just take whatever that is that we've been handed and we can find a path through it that takes us to a better self. Um that we can find uh joy and compassion and love and 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 gratitude even when you have been given just crap. And um and that's what we're responsible for. Yeah. And, and for me to sit around and wait for my uncle to say he was sorry, was actually, I think, undermining my own capacity to take responsibility for my life. And, um, and eventually, I just was able to, to move on. And 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 when I did move on, what that did, was it gave me capacity to feel pity for my uncle. And that's actually one of the things that happened when I was writing this book, is that uh, I was very angry at Donald Trump, which is Probably pretty clear in some parts of the narrative, <laughs> but uh, by but by going through that, I, I actually found moments when, and I still do sometimes when I'm watching the news, I actually feel pity for Donald Trump. I mm-hmm. ask, I literally ask myself, what kind of parents what happened, you happen you? What happened have, to you? What happened to you? What happened to you? What kind of parents did you have? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, he actually looks to me like somebody who might have been sexually assaulted as a kid, mm-hmm. you know, or so severely bullied in some way, shape, or form that he's just never been able to find the capacity of his own personal dignity. And, and that, 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 that's his responsibility. Yeah. You know, it,
1: and it, that's what it, people it, hear though. People hear like, well, that's, what am I supposed to do about Nothing, nothing. Yeah, yeah. And the same way that you can't, somebody can't do it for you and you have to take your own agency. We're not asking you to do it for somebody else. Like, Oh, what am I supposed to feel sorry for the white racists who voted for Donald Trump? No, that's not right. what we're saying. No, not at all. That's different set. And I think that's what's so beautiful about your your framework of gratitude, um, which is that this is not about, there is practices and we're not putting down thank you notes, but <laughs> it is so much deeper than that. This is not the, this is in, in many ways, a very deep, complex, nuanced process that we've turned into this sort of last piece of the of a transaction, and that's not what it is it's not a transaction it's right. a process it's a journey, and it's a a deeper and more um full way to see the world
3: yeah and the the story that I tell about my uncle you know and that's a really terrible life circumstance, and anybody that's been through that knows that that is you know i'm not I'm not kidding it's one of the most emotionally devastating things that can happen to a person um and um what I eventually began to see, as I got toward middle age, is that, you know, if if say my uncle say had had been abused, is that he he made a set of choices out of that, um, and his choice was to turn around and reenact that pain and trauma on everybody else that was around him, um, and and what I had done, for whatever reason, and I, I have no idea. I, I mean, I think it's literally grace. I mean, is that Despite the the, the, the the difficulties I had with all those issues emerging out of being abused, um, I had never turned around and really abused anybody else in that exact same way, is that, you know, I may have been not nice, I may have done things I wish I wouldn't have done, I may have handled things poorly in personal relationships, but I had never really abused used somebody you know in that way and and so when I saw that it was like oh my gosh you know overall on the scale of things I'm a decent and nice person you know who has tried my best and that felt like a gift you know because I had I had not only survived but I had in some ways thrived. And so I was able all of a sudden not to see myself as the victim of a terrible set of circumstances, but I was able to see myself as the recipient of gifts despite and through the terrible circumstances. And that those gifts had had been the pathway uh, for me becoming uh, the person I am who is a person of dignity. And I, I think, you know, as I near my 60th birthday, that... Uh, every day i learn more about what it means to be a kind and forgiving and gracious and gifted human being and i'm very aware of all those things and so so as i began to see the gifts that had emerged in my own life uh, the capacity to forgive really really opened up and i began to see the miracle and and that's what that's what gratitude really is is the capacity to see gifts no matter where we are no matter what the circumstances are and to then feel the power of those gifts in our lives. Oh my gosh, I'm so grateful. Yeah. I'm so grateful. I didn't wind up like my uncle. He went to, he he actually did go to jail earlier in his life. And, um, you know, big, long story, but you know, I've never been to jail Um, I was not divorced for emotional cruelty. That was not why my first husband and I got divorced. We were divorced for stupidity, (laughs) 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 for being too young. That's a whole different thing for getting divorced about the emotional cruelty, you know? And so, so, you know, it was amazing, you know, it's like, wow, there, my life is a miracle. And when I felt that, then That has begun to translate itself through the last 15 years, as I really began to realize that, into a more sustained way of practicing gratitude, um, you know, in my life. And and that breeds a different sense of well-being and kindness and purposefulness and all those kinds of things. So I don't say this as an amateur, and I don't say it as a person who, you know, has had a easy way. Um, I'd say it as a person who's actually walked this path and, and that it can be very incredibly healing. And that's what gratitude is the capacity to see gifts, no matter where we are and no matter what's going on around us. And to then embrace those gifts and to follow the, the, where those gifts are taking us to, um, the people we are intended to be in all of our fullness. And and that's where, you know, writing a journal, you know, because if you pay attention to gifts, you it's helps helpful to write them down so you don't forget because we're mm. we can be sick, you know. Mm-hmm. Um and so that's why you you keep a journal. That's why you develop habits of saying thank you. That's why I keep a little river rock. It's a little river stone, you know, if it's in my palm of my hand um by my bed. And it has the word gratitude engraved across across it. And so every morning when I wake up, the first word I see is gratitude. And every night when I go to sleep, the last word I see is gratitude. And I think,
1: I think that is the perfect,
3: perfect journal. <laughs> yeah,
1: I think that is the absolute perfect place to end. I think that that is um, such a beautiful summation of the book. And I am incredibly grateful for the gift of the book and you and for coming here today. Oh, thank you. It's been wonderful meeting it you It
2: has both. been so great. Thank you for spending so much time with us. We really appreciate it.